Welcome to the Beyond Nerding Podcast. I am your special guest host, Stephen. Matt and Lucas will join us soon. But first I'd like to tell you about my great love, the universe. Think about this. For 13.8 billion years, the universe has been constantly evolving. Endlessly and relentlessly becoming more complex, more sophisticated. Each step being surpassed and improved on by the next. All of that improvement and refinement, from a single cell organism onwards, currently results in you. You are the current pinnacle of the universe's evolution. A self-conscious, self-determined organism with the ability to choose and shape your own future beyond mere instinct. The universe is amazing. And you are the ultimate expression of the universe's creative impulse. Dear listener, you are amazing. Welcome listeners in podcast land. Whether this is your very first nibble, or you've eagerly munched on every episode so far and still have bits of us in your teeth, or maybe we've blocked you up and you're in need of some roughage, this is the Beyond Ring Podcast where we explore faith out of bounds. Welcome to episode 8, Beyond Beyond 2000. An exploration of evolutionary theology with Matt and Lucas. Our guest this episode is Bruce Sanguin, who's an international speaker and author, and he sees himself as a mystic and someone whose focus is evolutionary spirituality. Uh, check out some of these book titles. They include If Darwin Prayed, Prayers for Evolutionary Mystics, The Advance of Love, Reading the Bible with an Evolutionary Heart, Darwin, Divinity, and the Dance of the Cosmos, and the soon-to-be-released The Way of the Wind, The Path and Practice of Evolutionary Christian Mysticism. As you'll hear in our conversation, his conviction is that this life-bursting impulse, the drive of the universe, is the phenomena we describe as love. Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Love is in the air. Every sight and every sound. That word, say it clear now. L O V E. Love. If you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friends. In the name of love, one more in the name of love. Can't find me love. Love is in the air, do do, do 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 do. Love is in the air, do do, do 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 do. Whoa, 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 whoa. The universe is always doing this. 
It's always moving from the simple to the complex. The universe, this universe that we know, began in almost absolute simplicity and it has been getting more complex for about 15 billion years. But we're all moving towards it. Everything in the universe is moving towards it. And that final complexity, that thing we're all moving to, is what I choose to call God. If you don't like that word, God, then call it the ultimate complexity. Anything that enhances, promotes, or accelerates this movement towards the ultimate complexity is good. Anything that inhibits, impedes, or prevents this movement towards the ultimate complexity is evil. And the wonderful thing about this definition of good and evil is that it's both objective and universally acceptable. This definition is based on what we know about how the universe works. The nature of everything in the universe is to do this. The more complex something is, the more alive it is. Say, take fighting. If everyone were to start doing it, there'd be chaos at first, then death and dying, which hinders our movement towards this infinite complexity. The universe moved on until it reached what it is today, in all its glory. Humans, animals, the birds and the flowers, the stars and the galaxies. And it moves on still. From the novel Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts. Fundamentalist Christian and fundamentalist atheists both often fall into the temptation to distill the relationship between science and faith into a non-negotiable dichotomy, as though they are polar opposites. You either accept science and reject faith, or you accept faith and reject science. The problem with this, though, is that science is not standing still and turning that unknown into known. For example, where once people would have thought of violent seizures as a demonic possession, well now science can tell us the way epilepsy impacts brain function. If one equates mystery with God, then this would appear as though science or atheists are continuing an assault on faith by, by trying to disprove mystery or God. So what if we refuse to accept a dichotomy? What if we believe the claim that the sacred and divine is present amongst the known and tangible evidence of reality which scientific discovery has unearthed? I guess this episode, Bruce Sanguin takes such a view and speaks to us about finding the sacred mystical in our world. Uh, the question we like opening with for everyone that we interview is what keeps you within the Christian framework? What's the point of the Christian story for you? Hmm. That's a big question. It's big in the, in the sense that I, I actually retired early from, uh, from congregational ministry two years ago, partly because I was doing a lot more speaking and, uh, you know, I continue to write books and partly because, uh, in some ways I wanted I wanted to do life deeper than what 
the context of congregational ministry enabled me to do um, sort of more profoundly uh, transformational work. And there's nothing explicit or implicit in the Christian tradition which says that uh, deep transformation is not possible within this lineage, but somehow I'm starting to feel like the context of congregational life is, uh, I don't know, it's like there's this energetic field that mitigates against doing the kind of work I think that Jesus was all about, actually. The deep personal and social transformation, which I think the gospel is all about. Uh, and yet somehow when that gets translated in the context of most congregational settings, things kind of stay on the, on the surface of things. So, uh, but that said, I mean, that's maybe why it seems like a good question to me, but that said is what then keeps me within the lineage. And that's how I would put it, actually. I feel like there's still lots of juice left in the lineage of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, but I'm less and less committed to Christianity, per se. Christianity itself, the religion. What hope do you have then for the church? My, I guess my hope is that there are going to be splinter groups that are born of the death of the institutional church. And as has been the case throughout history, it's only the fresh winds of spirit that, that come along and renew, mm -hmm. that resurrect. And I think, I think we're undergoing that. And, um, and, and my hope is that with, each of, with, each, with every resurrection, uh, somehow the debris, the clutter is cleared from Jesus' core vision of a transformation uh, for, for love and in love. And I think those who were in the presence of Jesus found themselves drawn by the force of love to let go of or to purge of everything in them in their culture and society that was not love. It was a radical, radical emptying. And that's why so much of what Jesus challenged to people was, was the Basically, let go. Let go of your wealth. Let go of your attachments. Let go of everything that's in the way of this transformation for love. And then when you start doing that, then you start um, becoming the transformation yourself. You, be, you start becoming a transformational presence of love. You, the, this is the imago dei, the... the the image of God within us. And I think that's one thing the institution doesn't really want to do is that purging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like get like, re really, it's, it's a radical loss of everything that is not love. And I'm not sure I see the, that there's an appetite for it. You have a gathering of more conventional folks who are, whose main lives are outside the church and they're working hard, trying to earn enough 
you know, pension so that they can retire. Then they come together for a little spirituality on Sunday morning. And in that, the, the radicality of Jesus' message, I don't know, that is landing either in them or in the spiritual leaders. Yeah. In terms of some of the dying that we're seeing in the church, some of it I think has been it's cutting off from other reservoirs of wisdom, one of which is an obvious one, and that's it's cut itself off from the wisdom of science. Your big driving theology has been evolutionary theology. Can you tell us a bit about what that is and how that emerged for you? It wasn't even on my horizon until I went away on a silent retreat, and now it's about 20 years ago, maybe more, and I read a little book by a um, physicist and cosmologist, Brian Swim, and and there he gave a vision of the cosmos, which made it clear to me that we are not separate from the creativity out of which a universe emerged and, to, and continues to emerge. Uh, in fact, we are what all that creativity looks like after 13.8 billion years in the form of a human being. And there's an unbroken lineage from the Big Bang through the emergence of galaxies to our solar system to Earth to life on Earth to the emergence of conscious, self-conscious uh, human beings. And so when I got that all of this creativity that that came forth in the Big Bang had now reshaped itself in the form of Bruce Sanguine and you guys. <laughs> and of course then, well, what does that creativity want to do? And what that creativity wants to do is to continue to create through me. And then it led to questions of, well, this is, this creativity is involved in an evolutionary process. It's been evolving in and towards greater complexity compassion, consciousness for all these years and, and wants me to participate consciously now in creating a future, in the words of Charles Eisenstein, that my heart knows is possible. And our whole lives are an opportunity to, to awaken to this singular um, dynamic of love perfecting itself. It, it, I mean, this is kind of mind-blowing concept to try and get your head around, and, and in a way it's marrying or it's attempting to join the dots between, if you like, two fields which have had this great gap, this great divide between them. Um, yeah, I've had conversations in my True. own church where people have come up and said, you can't just talk about that because here's a magazine which proves all of the stuff is gen in Genesis is literally true and that's in conflict with what the world of science and you know, post-enlightenment has, <laughs> has been talking about. So just to kick it around a bit more because I think it, it needs some – we need some further help getting a handle on it. So are you saying that in this framework God is – the creativity, the creative force which is forming and evolving the universe, which is at this point in time resulting in that creativity being embodied in in Lucas, in Matt, in Bruce, and, and everyone else. We're not just the Holy Trinity here, but everyone else being the embodiment of that creative force. 
pretty much. Score. Okay. Score. Yeah. All right. It's been great talking with you, Bruce. <laughs> that's, that's that's a wrap. You see, I, what I I think God, if you like that that mystery, is the originating heart and mind out of which a universe was born and continues to evolve and continues to emerge moment by moment by moment. Mm. And I think, you know, by the time evolution arrived at human beings, uh, the universe became ca capable of uh, consciously awakening to the deep purpose of the evolutionary process. And so I think that's what prophets like Jesus were basically doing. They were going, wake up, wake up wake up you are you are essentially the mind and the heart of the 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 creator awakening awakening to itself in human form so you're suggesting there's a trajectory and you use the word of paul it's perfecting uh in terms of this trajectory People might say, looking at how we are as a people now, with the 21st century, or the 20th century being the bloodiest in history, people could argue yeah. that we're not really evolving, that we're perhaps even going backwards. What do you say to people that would look at us and say, yeah, we're, you know, we're stalled here or, or we're regressing? Right. Well, we're not necessarily evolving. That's true. We, we, it's, it's up to each one of us whether or not we want to consciously uh, enter into that evolutionary current that is the divine love and the divine wisdom and to uh, allow this great purge to happen in our lives so that we can manifest something other than the, the violent side of us. So, um, yeah, the 20th century was the, you know, one of the most bloodiest and and, but, I, but I think what people love to do, and the so-called militant atheists love to do, is take the lowest common denominator and say that that is what our true humanity is. Instead of taking the great exemplars like the Buddha, like the great shaman of the world, like, uh, you know, our, our brightest lights, and and look at them and say, okay, that's the leading edge of evolution. That's the potential that they've they've realized that, and therefore it's possible to be that as a human being. And uh, there, uh, undoubtedly, what you have is is you've got the leading edge of the evolutionary process. Those who have humbled themselves, uh, emptied themselves, and allowed the great transformation to happen and those who resist the process and where you have whole societies resisting the process then then violence you know terrible violence and injustice becomes possible but for me those aren't necessarily arguments against against the reality that we're capable of of amazing things as human beings you started within the church within the Christian tradition and um, have then been exposed uh, or taken seriously the, the, 
the story of evolution, the, the wisdom of evolution, and, and made that connection? And what's the evidence that would lead someone from starting from the viewpoint of evolution towards thinking, well, it's actually love that is the key, that is the driver, that is the motivator? Right. Just a word about evolution and spirituality. And when most people hear the word evolution, they, they think in terms of Darwin, DNA, dinosaurs, that kind of things. And of course, this is the physical realm that science as we know it, it primarily concerns itself with the, the realm of physicality. And they try to determine you know, its laws and do experiments that are repeatable and verifiable by a community of the competent. But evolution includes that, of course. But evolution also includes consciousness. And evolution also includes culture. So uh, cultures evolve, consciousness evolves, and the physical realm also, and what science primarily is concerned itself with is the evolution of the physical. This has led them, uh, many scientists, not all scientists, to reduce all of reality to the physical and say that all of, all of reality is merely physical and that mind, for example, is an epiphenomenon, is emerged out of matter and can be reduced, therefore, to matter. Mind can be reduced to the gray matter in our brain and the neurological activity of our brain. Whereas I would say that there is a correspondence between the neuro neurology of our brain and the gray matter and mind, but I would not say that uh, ultimate reality is matter. I would say ultimate reality is uh, consciousness, which is building a world that is uh, physical, uh, mental, and spiritual. But to reduce evolution of consciousness down to uh, the constituent parts of uh, the, the physical world, I think is a mistake. And I think that's important to clarify because when Richard Dawkins and some of these atheists go on, uh, or for example, the, the selfish gene which is based on the assumption that we are just the raw material that genes are using to replicate themselves, ascribes more intelligence and will to a bit of physical material, genetic material, than it does to human beings, which, which it just is nonsense. It doesn't make any sense at all. So we are not primarily genetic material, although we have genetic material. And lots of science has corroborated this. The science, the field of epigenetics, etc., has shown that you know genes are turned on and off by environmental factors, including belief systems. Uh, you know, so I think it's just important to clarify that that when I talk about evolution, I'm not talking about just mm. evolution of physical matter. I'm Beryl. And I'm a Rotarian. I've been going to my church for 70 years. Reading the Old Testament is worse than when I watch Game of Thrones. I don't mind the nudity. That's right. It's time for Beryl's Advocate. So we've recorded a question that may be reflective of the average pew sitter. 
and it's going to come to you from Beryl, and we'd ask you to respond to Beryl accordingly. That's my grandmother's name. Is it? There you go. <laughs> well, you might have already had this conversation then, so look, you're well prepared. <laughs> Some people in my bridge club seem to be under the impression that Darwin was an enemy of the church, that his theories of evolution are incompatible with faith and spirituality. I once dated a man whom I could well believe came from an ape, a hairy back and spoke in grunts. But is the church able to incorporate advances in scientific knowledge into its understanding of God and still be faithful to its original beliefs? Well, thank you, Beryl, for that question. Um, you know, I've got a book for you to read, and I think I'm just trying to remember the fellow's name. David... Lowell, he's a, he's a scientist himself, and he decided to go back and read both The Origin of Species and The Descent of Man by Charles Darwin. And one of his discoveries, to his absolute amazement, was that Charles Darwin only talks about, uses the phrase survival of the fittest twice in 800 pages in The Descent of Man, and talks about love as an evolutionary driver 98 times. Hmm. And he quotes repeatedly Darwin talking about how by the time evolution reaches the uh, human species, love is a, is a far more important evolutionary driver than uh, mere survival is, or and, and certainly ought to be. And it also captures Charles Darwin's uh, ambivalence himself with with Christianity, and I, I I I'm still unresolved with this. I've read all kinds of different takes on it, but I think it broke his heart to, in a sense, have to give up his Christianity because I don't think there were the theological models available to him that would allow him to incorporate what he was finding. Why do we need a framework to explore evolutionary theology? Is it not enough to sit with awe and wonder, to walk along the beach, appreciate a sunset? Uh, you know, how might our traditions, our spiritual and religious traditions, serve us? Why do we need a framework within to explore evolution? Uh, that's a good question. I I think within the Within, you know, the, the Judeo-Christian religion, there, um, I'm, I'm uncertain about this. You can, you, you know, like, I would have given you a whole bunch of stuff uh, a few months ago, but yeah, I'm not sure that, I mean, the, the question for me is, that do, do we need, have we surpassed have we surpassed Christianity as a religion? And, um, you know, I, I carry on writing as though we, have, we haven't and we need, there's still some life in the old bones. <laughs> um, but I'm a bit stumped right now when you ask the question. I'm just being honest. Like I... Mm. You know, I've been two years out of the church. I, 
I haven't gone to a worship service in those two years, mm. to be honest with you. I don't feel like I need it. Um, I'm just hearing myself speak <laughs> right now. I don't, I don't need it as it now exists. Mm. Mm. Uh, but there's there's something about there's something about the Christ energy that I think still is unique that is a real. Like I still think you can encounter the Christ as a field, as a as a personal presence who is transformative. And here, I mean, I got I came into this as a born-again Christian and I met Christ. And before all of the fundamentalist overlays and all the belief systems came in, I was transformed by love. I met the presence of love. And it's in some ways, I feel like as I'm speaking here, I'm realizing I'm coming back to that, that the Christ still lives as a, as a real transformative presence and so in some ways if if the church could get back to that without all the fundamentalist beliefs around around the christ and if if there was a way to do that stripped of all of that and just allow this presence as it as it as it stripped paul down on the road to Damascus and completely transformed his life. And if that's gonna if that can happen over and over again today, then by all means. And if if the church then is the gathering of those people who have been stripped to the core by love and have purged of everything that is not love, and that's their intention, and they're they're there to support each other and then to uh, witness to that in the world in their way of being and in and how they want to transform social political institutions then shit bring bring it on <laughs> like if that's the church then we need the church but as it now exists i i i don't know but i i think what what i think that's the thing that that is not finished with us yet is this christ presence who, who is love and is effecting a transformation of love. When, when we first came across you, Bruce, it was two years ago, and in conversation with you, you shared a similar question. At that point, you were saying, I'm not sure if there's a place for me and where I'm at and where I'm thinking, if there's a place for me in the, uh, in the church as it stands. So that's, that's really the reason that this podcast exists to connect with people who are asking those kind of questions and who are finding themselves mm. who, who for, for whom that is a live question for many people, the church doesn't reflect the Jesus uh, who they read about and who they, who it was based on. Um, so is there still hope for it? Is, can it be redeemed and in, in uh, can it be love and the evolution of love, which may yet redeem it? It's a live question. We don't know. One of the big, one of the dangers, in my opinion, of a lot of evolutionary spirituality, as I see it today, is that there's, there's a kind of spirituality of glory going on. People are kind of heady about our role as creators, 
that that now that we're conscious, the presence of evolution that has gained uh, conscious awareness in us, we're totally responsible for uh, shaping the new world, the new Jerusalem. And I think that's fine, and there's elements of truth to it, and I've talked about that. But unless you are shaping that future from deep humility, you end up with the world that we have right now. Canadian singer-songwriter Bruce Coburn wrote a song, and one of the lines is, let's have a laugh for the men of the world who thought they could make things work, tried to build a new, new Jerusalem and ended up with New York. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, he goes and he's laughing at that. That sounds like a Canadian it's because, joke. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, be, it's because if you, if you don't, and this I think is the great contribution of the Christian tradition, is this purgative, this the, the great purge is emptying of all that is not love, then go ahead, create the future. Use all your potential, all this creativity, do it. But if you're doing it from a place of ego, as our world is being created from a place of ego, then you get into the problems that we're seeing now with climate change and global warming and all these technologies we're unleashing upon the world, but we don't really understand them because they haven't been born of love. Mm. They've been born of ego. And so I think Christianity, you know, has a great role to play in, in evolutionary spirituality from this perspective of uh, bringing to bear in our creativity a deep humility. You did, um, as a pastor, some of the work I really appreciated you offering was your observation of some core agreements or some ways in which we need to show up to and for each other that might create the possibility of this sort of evolutionary yeah. love emergent sort of ideas. The phrase you used was creating habitats of creative emergence, which is a ripper phrase. Uh, what are some of the ways, were we to start small, more intimate spaces attempt that we're attempting mm. to honor and evolve love? What are some of the ways we could do that? I, I, I'm touched, first of all, by how carefully you've uh, read and listened to my stuff, so thanks. Um, well, the, the, you know, the first couple, just take the first couple of these agreements, would be uh, listening for the crackle of the new, and the second one is speaking true words. And in my new book, I talk about um, a practice uh, based on these two agreements, which is... Uh, uh, just called we we space. So you you come together with the express purpose of dropping your ego and seeing what emerges in the conversation. The one of the agreements is simply um, uh, surrender to grace, and so it's learning the discipline of of surrender in a radical way. At the core of which we've talked about, which I think is this self emptying, this purging, this. Um, uh, which enables you to surrender to uh, ultimately this this impulse of love that is creating new futures. One of the agreements is simply fail bravely. Learn to experiment with new ways of being. Uh, if you're going to do that, you're going to fail repeatedly. And you just have to get comfortable with the, the universe. Just This is how the universe moves forward. It, it, it moves forward through failure, repeated failures. 
Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that didn't work. That didn't work. And this is the problem with a lot of congregational cultures is that they're not willing to fail repeatedly in, in order to allow the new thing that Spirit's doing to, uh, to emerge. There's another one which simply says the crisis is the birth. In, in this process of cosmic evolution, embedded in every crisis are the seeds of the new birth, are the new intelligences required to meet the challenge of the crisis. So, so it's intrinsically hopeful. Anytime you're confronted by a crisis, it's a fabulous opportunity because you know that the intelligent requ intelligence required to meet the crisis and overcome the crisis is embedded in the crisis itself. So you learn to uh, welcome, welcome the crisis, whatever form that might take. So those are a few. Mm. And in, in this new book that's coming out soon, the fall, I hope, I put practices to all the core agreements. So, you know, people could get together and, you know, work, work those through. Mm. Cool. People got to get out of their small self, though. That's the main thing. Like, we're so stuck in our egos that until we're out of them, mm. nothing's going to happen. Yeah. We, we've got to be able to step into our, if you like, our cosmic self or our essential nature. You know, this, our transcendent self. Mm. We got to find a way to do that. Whether it's, uh, and love does that. Love breaks through. Love breaks down the contracted self, the small self, and suddenly we discover who we are and what our lives are for. Mm. But that it, this is hard shit, man. I mean, <laughs> it's, there, well, it's you know, completely... to, to, you can talk, you, you can talk about this using yeah. words, right? But yeah. but unless you're willing to be broken, yeah. like that, the e completely have your ego. Uh, deconstructed and to look at all the all the trauma that you've been through and all the ways in which you've necessarily constructed that ego as a compensation mm. you know you're just gonna keep keep on the wheel mm. you know that love has got to break you it is almost impossible but it's not completely impossible mm. that's the beauty of it mm. love can love can break through I'm faith and I'm far Pigs like peace. The Bible was really heavy. I once saw a Christmas tree being put to death. If only the world was made of love. Church says that God made people, but Mum and Dad say that we came from apes and fish. I don't know which to believe. Could I believe both? Well, Faith, God did create you, and God created all these beautiful creatures as well. And the way God did that is he made all these creatures so that they would live their lives, and they would learn a whole bunch of things about the world. And everything they learned, when you became a human and you came to Earth, would already be inside of you. So you have all of the things that the monkeys learned inside of you, and you have all of the things that the fish learned inside of you, because they're our kin. They're like our family. 
only they're not a human family, they're animal families. So you can believe both. Very quickly, one thing, you, you wrote a, a wonderful book called If Darwin Prayed, and in it you, you offered a lot of prayers that reflected an evolutionary theology. But can you talk to us about what's the point of prayer or practices of spirituality? How, how do they serve us? What, what are they for? Well, I'm not sure in the first place they're functional. I think prayer is, for me, always a response to spirit. And so we pray in a sense because we have to pray, because it's our way of responding to some kind of grace that's moved through us. And we want to say thank you. We want to cry out in our longing. We need comfort. Um, we we want to we want to know God more intimately in the depths of our soul, and so it's just one of the things that humans do. And I like Paul's theology, but it's just his sense. He said, you know, it's like when we pray, it's spirit praying us. So true prayer is feeling spirit moving through us. Uh, and, you know, it's not so much for this or for that. It's we pray because we're moved to pray. Bruce Angwin, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your blend of head and heart, your honesty, and, and just putting yourself out there in your shared story. So thanks for your time and for your wisdom, and thanks for taking us beyondering. Hey guys, it was my pleasure. Great to connect with you and let's uh, let's stay in touch. Done. Thanks very much, Bruce. scent, the dwelling scent of damp earth and freshly broken meaning. I lost God in a science experiment. I found him on a frosty morning in a fern-dressed valley, hiding behind a fallen tree and an obsolete hypothesis, with a face like earthbound cloud, he didn't add up. He spoke in colours. His infinite fingers held nothing but in-betweens. He joked through topography. The sky laughed. I didn't get it. His great, omnivorous love was a strange gravity. Not from the earth, but from the dead centre of my very first memory. I think I've changed what I believe, but I haven't told my friends yet.
find out more about Bruce Sanguin, including some other writers and thinkers he would suggest you look into, there's info and links on our website at theondering.com.au. And don't forget to join the conversation on Facebook or in the private Facebook group for deeper engagement. Next week's episode is Just Be Yond. Looking at prayer and spirituality with two great guests. Author, educator and activist Parker Palmer. What I think Christianity really is, along with the other wisdom traditions, is a way of framing what's real and what isn't, and a way of, of looking at the world that allows you to see what's real and what isn't. You know, if there's one thing that's clear to me, it's that it's a whole lot better to be grounded in reality, no matter how tough reality is, than it is to to try to sink your roots into illusions. And the very creative, very energetic Uniting Church Minister, Alex Sangster. Sitting by the side of someone that you love or holding their hand as they pass from this world into the next. And if you have had that experience, you know, as I know, that the soul is a real thing and that when the mortal body dies, the soul does leave that body. And there is this extraordinary moment of the soul breaking free and that body simply lying there and being a body again. Until next time, thanks for coming beyondering. Hasta la vista, baby. Beyondering is supported by Progressive Christian Network of Victoria. Join the network, find resources and learn about upcoming events at pcnvictoria.blogspot.com.au and Common Dreams, an alliance of religious progressives in Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific. Visit commondreams.org.au to learn more about the next Common Dreams conference to be held in Brisbane, September 16th to 19th, 2016. Edited by Shaz Mullins and technologically massaged by Adam. You came in like a wrecking ball.